T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Thursday, March 15th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, AMVETS Executive Director Joe Shinelli is going to be with us to talk about the latest focuses for his organization in regards to VA, veterans issues, and oh, so much more. And later... Congressman Brian Mast will join us live in studio to talk about his time in the service and his continuing service as he represents Florida's 18th district. There are a lot of things that I'm looking forward to talking to him about, including going on a shark dive with his fellow disabled veterans down in Florida fairly recently, as well as recent legislation that he's introduced to address the issue of the assault style rifle as some people like to call them assault weapons as others like to call them the ar-15 there's uh there's a lot going on and of course him being down in florida and in his district he's got uh, a lot of interesting things going on at home as well as here in dc we're going to talk to him about all of that coming up later on today but first let's start the show by bringing super producer jake hughes into the studio oh yes polite applause Ah, yes, my adoring crowd. Thank you so much, people. Oh, please, no, calm down. It's okay. It's kind of polite. I don't know if it's adoring. Yeah, well. I'm having a, a computer issue here, Jake. You oh, know, yeah? I normally, I log on. I'm able to look at the stories that I want to talk about, get the details, and now our internet appears to not be working at all. So, you know, I can I can talk for a minute if you need to... Uh, I, what, I sh- what would Jake say if he were to talk for a minute to start off the show? I could mention that last Tuesday I went to a concert and uh, my neck still hurts, so that's a good thing. I uh, know I'm not a young buck anymore, so headbanging for two hours oh, tends I to you meant somebody like beat you up or no, 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 no. Headbanging for two hours tends to take its toll because I'm not a like I said not a young buck anymore. Mm. But uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, next Monday I have another concert. I get to go backstage and meet the band. I'm very excited for that. Oh wow. Yeah, and uh, cool. yeah, lots of cool stuff going on in my life right now. God, I'm awesome. Also, also, this is something for Connecting Vets. I yeah. am working on our first video game review. Ah, very yes. nice. What game is it for? It's a game called Them's Fighting Herds. And what it is, never is heard of it. yeah, it's an indie game. It's uh, a fighting game based on uh, like farm animals, like farm animals doing the fighting. It right. sounds odd, but the game is amazing. It's been developed by completely by uh, amateur people, and it's actually interesting. The characters were developed by, like, designed by Lauren Faust. You might remember her from Powerpuff Girls, My Little Pony, uh, Dexter's Lab. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I know of those shows, of course, but I, right. don't, I don't know who made them. Right. I remember but, Dexter's Lab was made by a Russian guy, yeah, Jenny D- Tartakovsky, yeah, who is like actually yeah. Lauren Faust's husband. Ah, well, there you go. The more you know about useless information. Yep, I am of I am a font of useless information. Well, you see, there was a uh, a story that I specifically wanted to talk about because we talked about it months. Ah, here we go. Are we finally there? My goodness, this is just uh, this computer. 
it's a good good link to how we now want everything delivered immediately because it took like three minutes, four minutes for this page to load in here. That's not that long, but I wanted it now. This, I wanted it yesterday. This is the generation of immediate satisfaction, immediate gratification. Yeah, pretty much. And now I can't find the, oh, come on, man, the story <laughs> that I was on. Are you serious? Well, anyway, you remember the story that we talked about of uh, a sailor who had basically faked a hate crime on his uh, ship, like destroyed his rack and wrote racial epithets on it yes. and stuff. And it turned out it was him who did it. And a lot of times when we hear those stories, we don't hear the after effects. We don't hear about what may have happened to the people involved in them. We just hear like, well, you know, they've they've been punished or they're going to be punished. Well, I saw the story and I have to refine this thing now. I don't know why. Um, maybe if I go to the Navy Times, it'll be in there. Uh, he was, in fact, kicked out of the Navy. So there were people wondering. There were people saying, well, they probably just give him a slap on the wrist because, you know, this isn't this isn't the kind of thing that they're too worried about. They'd be worried about it if it was a real hate crime. But if it's somebody faking it, then that's not as big a deal. And now I can't find the Well, it makes story. sense because you're faking one of the worst crimes you can really do, the hate crime, you know, smearing racial epithets. All the people. I would but, disagree. I would say that any violent crime is worse than any well, word okay, crime. Any nonviolent crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any nonviolent crime. Yeah, and it's the same thing. The, the same exact same thing happened at the Air Force Academy. Yes, around the same time. I think it was a little bit before this instance, or at least, um, uh, at least we found out about it before this incident. Because right. this one, uh, the Navy Times had the story on December eighth, twenty seventeen, uh, that it was a staged. Uh, incident of vandalism and now i'm trying to find this story where it says uh well it's a good thing that he was actually well i mean i think it's good that he kicked out because that means the the navy and the military in general is not generalizing these crimes they're not they're not desensitized to them like well, even yeah, like not, a fake one it, well i felt like someone might do it so i did it to myself that's not okay like, exactly you don't go like well i thought you know, I thought this guy was going to rob me, so I shot him. Like, no, if someone breaks into your house and is inside of your house, depending on which state you live yeah. in and what happens in that state, castle doctrine, baby, uh, you can then take care of it. But if you just, if someone's outside of your house and you think they might break into your home, uh, I mean, if, you're, if your house is three miles off the road and there's someone there, okay then maybe you have a point. Otherwise, you can't just assume what people are going to do. And this one, uh, who knows what was going on there. But I saw, not not instances like this, but I saw people faking things to try and get out of things. Or uh, one of my favorites was someone who was late to work and had a, had a history of being late to work who... <laughs> essentially called in and said like oh man I, I i think i fell and hit my head i don't know i'm gonna have to go to the hospital <laughs> and went to the hospital and then we ended up going to um uh, their home to check on them afterwards because you know, that's what the that's what the bosses do we go to the house and be like hey man you okay so what happened where were you what well i think i fell down the stairs there and you can see there's some blood on it and we look and the blood is on the uh, top step like, you know, if you're like the very first step down from the top landing in this two floor apartment or townhome or whatever it was that the guy had and the blood is on the second step and it's right on the edge of it. And I'm like, huh? So you fell down the stairs, but you bled on the very top stair. 
Then I looked at him and what it what he had rug burn on his face. I was like, well, how would you have gotten rug burn on your face and bled on it on the very top step? Turned out the guy eventually admitted he woke up late, realized what had happened, was freaking out, sat on the top of the stairs and was trying to figure out what to do uh, and ended up rubbing his own face on the, the step to give himself rug burn very badly. I might add, like it was deep and there was blood that came out of it and then claimed that he fell down and went to the hospital and they gave him like IVs for being dehydrated and you know why he was dehydrated because he was out drinking the night before until Ooh. like 3 a.m. and then he woke up at he woke up at 8 was supposed to be at work at 7 and it was just it was a uh, oh boy that's one of those things where people people will for various reasons if they have a reason they will come up with something like that in this instance we don't have a lot of the details of why this person did it they may just be someone who wanted attention they may have thought that it would have looked good on them that people would feel bad for them he may have had some other issues that he was trying to distract people from because if you are let's say he's in a similar situation to that guy i was talking about where you're showing up late to work or whatever if he's having that kind of an issue and then all of a sudden he's the victim of a hate crime Guess which one takes precedence? Mm -hmm. It's not showing up to work late. Eventually it will again, and it'll catch up with him. But the uh, the fact that, that you know hate crime is a little bit more important than someone being late to work every day. So uh, it could be anything uh, that, that led him to do it, I suppose. He could just be a crazy person. There are crazy right. people out there. Right. Everyone always tries to find uh, uh, the underlying issues. Sometimes people are just nuts, you know? Yeah. But like I said, you know, it's good that they aren't the, the Navy is treating this like an actual hate crime. Like they're saying this will not stand. We're not going to stand for this. So it, this these getting the same punishment as someone if they had actually did it. Yeah, he, he may be. He may be. I, I don't think he's doing any time where someone probably would have if they did that to him. I think, you think just so. Said, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I think you'd be going to Quantico or something like that. They'd charge you under the UCMJ because if they didn't, they would be lambasted by the public if they found out about it. So this one, I think just cutting ties with them. I think it's uh, it's the right step to take, but I don't know if it's the same as if someone had committed the actual crime. And here's here's why I think that makes sense. Uh, there was no real victim in this crime. I'm sure there are people out there who say, well, what about every uh, every white sailor out there who had aspersions cast oh, upon them by up. this? There are people who will say that. And you know what? To some extent, I suppose they have some point. But this guy did it to himself for, again, whatever reason. And they said, all right, we figured this out. Get out. You've lost the possibility of a career. Your paychecks are going to stop coming as soon as you're done. I mean, it's, it's, it's the right step to take, I think. Um, this is uh, another story that I saw, which was... Uh, 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 you know, we've sat here, you and I, and we have a million TVs in this building on various channels. We have the the sports channels on, of course, because uh, there's a sports station right across the building from us. The news stations and uh, specific news stations. I'm sure people can figure out which ones we're talking about. Yep. Anytime the president does anything, they try to find the uh, worst possible angle to take on it. I mean, it, honestly, at this point, I believe that certain networks... If he were to come up with a cure for cancer, would it be like, you know, well, why didn't he cure AIDS? Yeah. You know, it's our right to have cancer. Yeah, he took was, that away from us. What, like, what, what do you what do you think you're God? I mean, if we if cancer was destined to be in people, yeah. then who are you to take it? Why are you racist against cancer? Here's here's one where uh, something happened and it was a typo. It's been deleted, but. The president uh, tweeted, and let's let's be quite clear about this. And and people were claimed to be shocked when they heard that it was actually his lawyers and public affairs people who tweeted. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, that's what happens with just about everybody that's out there that's like a big-time celebrity that has people, that has a full-time staff. They're not tweeting themselves. It's someone who does it for them. They have a guy to do that. They have a guy to do just about everything. So he was out at Miramar and uh, tweeted that it was uh, my great honor to uh, deliver a message to Marine Corps Air Station Miramar he spelled Marine Corps C-O-R-E instead of C-O-R-P-S. Now, that's quite possibly even an autocorrect function because oh, yeah. core, C-O-R-E, again, pronounced the same way, it's it's used more often. I don't even know if core, C-O-R-P-S, is in the, uh, you know, there's plenty of possibilities. And on Twitter, you're not allowed to go back in and edit like you are on Facebook or right. on Instagram or other things. But, of course, you know, you got uh, people saying, like, oh, this shows he doesn't care about the military and the Marine Corps and veterans and stuff oh like that. Gosh. Just stop it. Stop it. Uh, and then you have people like, here's a, here's a here's a Marine who served for 20 years who tweeted, uh, re- replied to the president's tweet, I served for more than 20 years in the Marine Corps. I know that he doesn't read, but the fact that our commander-in-chief doesn't know the difference between a corps and a corps is more than a spelling error. Wrap yourself in the flag all you like. Actual veterans have had it. Uh, this actual veteran has had it with that take, Matt Morgan. It's an autocorrect issue. It happens. Should it happen when you have people who are paid to do that? No, but it does happen, and it's yeah. not some sign of disrespect. It is just a spelling error. I, it's nothing more. It's nothing more. But again, everything. I keep coming back to the uh, the old fable, the boy who cried wolf. Do you remember that story, Jake? I remember it very well. So the boy who cried wolf. For those who are not familiar with it, I don't know uh, who would not be familiar <laughs> with it. But it's about a boy who keeps claiming that he sees a wolf and claiming that he sees a wolf. When there's no wolf. So eventually the town looks at him and goes like, eh, whatever. And next he calls out that he sees a wolf and there is an actual wolf and nobody believes him because he's been claiming everything was a wolf before. (sighs) Do you you understand why that analogy works in this situation? It makes sense. Stop crying wolf. Everything is, if everything is the worst, then nothing is. That's what you need to understand. There are people out there who do not like this current administration. There are people out there who do. There are people who like some of what they do and like some don't like some of what they do. I fall into that camp, essentially. There are, of course, those out there. And social media is a horrible, horrible thing in some ways, which allows people to just be as angry as they want and to put out whatever unfiltered thought they want heard when they used to never have an ability to do that. You know, if you were working at... Uh, let's say a Ford factory, making cars, doing an incredibly important job. You talk to the people you worked with at that Ford factory. You didn't have any outlet to get your your thoughts and voice and opinion heard to somebody else. Well, now people do. Boy, opinions are like a certain part of the human anatomy. Everybody's got one. And as I've learned from Twitter and other forms of social media, most of them stink. Yep. It's just, oh, just stop. Um, there are... Uh, you know, again, people that do this. And then you get the, the, the media covering it. Military Times has a story on it, pulling out, you know, 40 tweets from various people, uh, basically all, you know, anti-Trump tweets. Some of them fairly funny. You have a, a woman named Leslie Gurr. I don't think that's her actual name. But at the very center of the American Armed Services, she tweets, is the Marine Corps, C-O-R-E, an enticing mixture of nougat and caramel. <laughs> 
That's pretty good. But then you have other people, again, like this 20-year Marine Corps veteran who's like, this isn't a spelling error. This is an insult. No, 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 Matt. It's a spelling error. This is the kind of people who are who get hyper-reactionary over every single thing you can think of. If it were intentional, if, if it were intentional, and you said, like, yeah, the Marine Corps, whatever, the Marine Corps, C-O-R-E, then, okay, then I can understand you getting uh, upset. Otherwise, been, yeah, it could have been worse. Error. He could have said Marine Corps. Yeah, that's true. Some people do uh, have done that, and I've seen people, dude. I, there are people out there who don't even know what the Marines are. I remember meeting a young lady when I was in the Navy. She lived in Florida where there are numerous naval installations and Navy base here, Pensacola, Jacksonville, Mayport. I met her and she, I told her I was in the Navy and she said, what, what's that? I was like, what do you mean? What's that? It's like, it's the military. She's like, Oh, the army. Said, no, the Navy. She's like, what, what, what? And I was like, oh, Navy, we're the ones who deal with the water. She's like, I thought that was the army too. That, that happened. Yeah, there are the, people out there who have no yeah, idea. The army is the catch-all when you say, you know, if someone doesn't know anything about the military, oh, it's the army. No. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and what's what's less acceptable and it's, what's hilarious is to hear the the media trying to call out the president for a typo when it comes to spelling Marine Corps improperly. When I've been called by members of the media hundreds of times that I can recall, soldier. Huh. Really? Never went to army basic training. Never spent a minute with a drill sergeant. I'm not a soldier, man. I'm a sailor. These are distinct things. Marines are not soldiers. Airmen are not soldiers. But the, the media, who, again, are constantly getting terminology wrong that they can easily Google and look up and printing it in news stories where editors then take a look at it. are going to call out the president for an autocorrect typo on Twitter. Shut up. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done listening to you when it comes to stuff like that. I mean, I, I wrote a, a piece on our thing about the AR-15 because I was just so sick and tired of reading every story by people like uh, Gersh Kunzman up at the New York Daily News. And then there was the other guy at CNN that went out with the uh, the former yeah, three star. The, had the, the, the greatest firing position ever. Oh. Leaned back and... Back, chest wrist kind of both wrists limp it was amazing that he actually put it downrange that, yeah. that he wasn't just firing at his own feet as a <laughs> cnn reporter and then uh general i think it was general hurtling who came on after him who became the object of ridicule and to many in the veteran community by using the term now if i were to fire this thing on fully semi-automatic the hell is fully semi-automatic and i know what he meant and when you're on camera sometimes you make slip-ups it happens when you're doing it live here's the thing they could have edited it because it was pre-recorded it wasn't shot live he was saying you know that's me shooting one shot so he was shooting one shot if i fire you know it's semi-automatic so i'm able to fire as fast as i can under that's what he was referring to but when you're a former three-star general you don't use fully semi-automatic you're going to sound like a doof yeah. And he's supposed to be, he's held up as a military expert. That's why he's on CNN. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, <laughs> that's interesting stuff. Now, another interesting thing still related to guns. And this is something that we're going to be talking with Congressman Mast about later today. If you're not familiar with Congressman Mast, uh, a pretty incredible guy served in the military, uh, lost both of his legs while serving in the military. Men decided after he got out that he wanted to continue serving in another way and ended up being elected to represent Florida's 18th district, which includes uh, Port St. Lucie and Fort Pierce, uh, a lot of really uh, um, veteran heavy areas down there. Him being a veteran himself, I'm sure, and we'll talk to him about this, helped him uh, with with getting elected and getting into office. He's also have some uh, he also has some um, some very 
interesting thoughts on rifles, particularly as someone, you know, he's a combat veteran, he's a Purple Heart recipient, and he knows quite a bit about rifles, as many of us who served do, and pretty much anybody who deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan does. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about that as it relates specifically to his home district down there in Florida. Of course, Florida is where that uh, the horrible school shooting took place, and I think it may have actually been in his district. I'd have to double check on that, but I think it may have been. Um, AFIS. You remember there was a story late last yeah. week, and and the, and the the they were going to take high capacity magazines off of the shelves, which they said uh, anything that held eleven or more, so anything over ten rounds, they were going to take off the shelf. Which ten rounds isn't particularly a high capacity magazine. I mean, the ones that they come with, oftentimes the AR fifteen hold like fifteen to twenty rounds on yeah. them. So I, uh, you know, it was it was it was interesting that they made that uh, decision. But then exchange officials reversed that policy based on input from customers. That's a very polite way of saying people were ticked. People were, and they said, "Like, what are you doing? First off, we're we're the military, and we're we're well trained with firearms. This is not, you know, we're not some high school shooter kid or whatever." Um, you know, they, they basically said in their statement, feedback from active duty guard and reserve soldiers and airmen highlighted the criticality of high capacity magazines as it relates to readiness and proficiency. That's another thing. They, a lot of people do maintain, particularly those who are infantrymen in the Marine Corps and the army and, uh, and work in other ways, uh, other similar uh, job fields and MOSs. They shoot on their free time too. They, you know, they enjoy it, and it's also part of their job. I mean, you could probably yeah. get a tax write-off for ammunition if you're an infantryman. I imagine <laughs> that'd be interesting to check and see if you could do that. Um, the stores, including the online store, had stopped selling the magazines just a couple of weeks ago at the very beginning of March. However, it took less than like two weeks for them to reverse that decision because people were openly uh, revolting against it. And it's an interesting thing that we'll also talk to the congressman about where. You know, there there are some loud voices in public who want the AR-15 banned. They want, quote, unquote, high-capacity magazines uh, banned as well. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who don't. There are a lot of people out there who think like, no, why, why are you going to take something away from me because someone else does something horrible with it? We don't do that in this country, we, except with things that are you can't use properly, like drugs, heroin. There's no good way to use heroin as a heroin user to inject it. You can use opiates as a medication, and we've seen how that's gone. Even oh, when yeah. properly prescribed, it's still a problem. Again, here's the thing. When we talk about guns, and we've talked about this on the show, we've talked about it on the website in an op-ed that I wrote, annually, about 13,000 gun-related homicides every year. There's two, twice as many gun-related suicides every year. That's a whole nother issue, man. When, when people want to take their own lives, which is another thing I want to talk to the congressman about, because he put forth an interesting idea to, to combat the issue of 20 veterans a day taking their own lives. 13,000 a year, and we have over 300 million guns in this country and like something like 10 million rifles or something like that sold every year. 13,000 homicides. And do you know how many of those are used or involve rifles? How many? Usually between 250 and 350. Oh, wow. In a country of 320 million people, 350 homicides related to rifles on average. Well, it's actually on average, it's more like 280, 290. But, uh, you know, the most that we've seen recently has been like 350, 375, somewhere around there. When you look at the numbers, you have like a one in a million chance, literally one in a million 
of being killed by someone with a rifle. If you live in a city, so what that means for those who who have a, a difficulty with grasping statistics and understanding large numbers like that, if you live in a city of 500,000 people, that means that on average, every other year, someone will be killed with a rifle. Hmm. If you live in a city of 250,000 people, it means on average, every four years, someone will be killed with a rifle. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it basically breaks down like that. It's not this public health crisis. These school shootings are horrible, and that needs to be addressed. I wrote what I think needs to be done, and I think that's taking a look at those individuals and stopping them ahead of time. Because if you take, let's say, the AR-15 away, let's say there's a magical wand that can just make them all disappear today. Do you think someone like Nicholas Cruz or Adam Lanza is all of a sudden just not going to have homicidal uh, desires to go in and murder children? Or do you think he's going to use whatever other weapon there is? He'll find a way. And as I, I've made the point before, with certain rifles and certain weapons you can fire almost as fast as an ar-15 any semi-automatic rifle fires just as fast as an ar-15 and there are those that are just as deadly if not more so it depends on the caliber see the ar-15 is a boogeyman and the ar-15 is i think a bit of a red herring and a distraction because there's 22 caliber ar-15s 22 caliber rounds if they hit you in the right spot can certainly still kill you but Typically, you're going to survive a 22 caliber shot. Anyway, a lot of stuff going on. We're going to talk to AMVETS later, Congressman Brian Mast. It's the Morning Briefing, Thursday edition, back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. ConnectingVets.com, that's your website. Created by veterans for veterans, focusing on the veteran experience. You looking for help finding work? We've got that. You looking for help dealing with stress, dealing with things like PTSD, TBIs? We've got great information on that. You looking for news, opinions, editorials? Well, we've certainly got plenty of opinions around here. We have no problem putting them on the site. So go ahead and check out ConnectingVets.com. 16, 17, 18 times a day, or just follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you follow us, you're going to get all that information directly from us as it goes up on the site. Our next guest is a veteran of the United States Army who also happens to be currently serving in Congress for the United States of America, representing Florida's 18th District. Please welcome to the show the Honorable Congressman Brian Mass. Brian, good morning. How are you doing today? Couldn't be better, man. It's good to be here with you this morning. Do you feel more honorable when you get elected to Congress? Uh, you feel uh, certainly a, a heavy burden of responsibility. You got 700,000 people looking at you saying, hey, go out there, be our representative, do it as best you can. I always told people, look, I'll try to do it like I did it in the military. And that's learning from you know our brothers, our sisters in arms. Unfortunately, a lot of them injured, a lot of them uh, folks that, that maybe we just remember when we go through the, the rows over at Arlington National Cemetery. But the way those people served to our left and right was they never worried about what it was going to cost them. They never worried about what they were going to get out of it. They worried about their brothers to their left and right. They worried about their country and that was it. And, uh, you know, that's got to be the way that you do it here. So that's always been my promise to my constituents. 
We're going to talk quite a bit about your time as a member of Congress and about the political issues raging today, whether it's the VA, whether it's firearms. There's a lot of really fascinating and and difficult conversations taking place within our nation's capital and within Congress. But first, let's talk a little bit older. Brian Mast decides to join the Army and take that oath of enlistment. When did you join? Where did you join? And what made you decide to join the Army? And why not the Navy, man? You could have done that. It was never going to be the Navy for me. It was always the Army. (laughs) Grew up wanting to be an Army guy. Of course, the great, uh, you know, ages of G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. uh, You know, I wanted to be Duke, of course. And uh, no, See, I wanted to be shipwreck, and I basically was for 13 years. That you know? was your life, yeah. <laughs> Minus the parrot, I didn't have a parrot. Never I, got one. You know, I don't have good Duke hair, but <laughs> that is, you know, it is what it is. No, I was. Uh, I joined right after high school. Um, let's see, May of 2000, I enlisted. So just prior to 9/11, my father he served during the Korean War. He never went over. He was part of this Nike missile battalion in Chicago that never went anywhere uh, during that time. And pretty much all of my uncles served at some time between there and Vietnam. And it was just. Uh, None of them were lifers. They weren't career people. But for me, coming up uh, through high school, that was just the path for me. And when I got there, I was like a a round peg in a round hole. It was the right place for me. And what did you do while you were in? EOD, is that what I I spent the bulk of my career as a bomb technician, EOD. Loved it. Uh, You know, we had some great mottos as bomb technicians. We had two two of our mottos were this, and we said them very seriously. Um, One of them was initial success or total failure. I mean, when it comes to bombs and IEDs, you get it right or you get it wrong. There's not really anything in the middle. And uh, the other thing that we used to say quite often was this, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Mm. And, uh, you know, that applies to bombs and poker and golf and a few other things. Many aspects of life. And, of course, Congressman Mast, uh, I think, sticks out to some people when they see you and when I met you for the first time was at uh, an event in DC last uh, summer I guess it was last spring just a few weeks after I moved down here of course Congressman Mast is a double amputee he lost both of his legs while serving our nation over in Iraq Um, that led to your retirement from the service and that's how your career came to an end I'm sure not how you were planning on it coming to an end but when that happens and it comes time to transition from being Staff Sergeant Mast to you know Staff Sergeant retired mass the veteran community what do you recall most about that transition there was some very real struggles then and some very very real inspirations and i kind of had these two parallel tracks going through through me right at the exact same time you know i woke up in old walter reed army medical center i'm laying there in a hospital bed really for the better part of two months nothing to do but sit there on my butt while you know while my wounds healed and the two things going through my mind were this so number one i'm thinking Okay, I didn't necessarily realize the severity of the injuries, you know, bilateral above knee amputations, damage to my left arm. It wasn't fully comprehending. uh, And I'm sitting there thinking, all right, you know what? I'm going to get out of this bed. I'm going to slap on a pair of prosthetics. I'm going to do a couple months of physical therapy, and I'm going to be out on the next rotation to Afghanistan with my guys again. And that was a good thing to have because that was drive. That's what, you know, it drove me to do every single minute, every hour of physical therapy that I could get in there. You know, when I was uh, laying in that bed, I had a trapeze over the bed and I would be sitting there doing pull-ups with one arm. It was drive to say, all right, hey, you got it. You got to stay strong. You got to get ready to head back out there. At the same time, uh, there was a piece of me that realized that wasn't in the cards anymore. Right. And, uh, you know, I I just, I wasn't going to be an asset on the battlefield in the same way. That was the most difficult part of the injury. It wasn't the physical piece of it. It was the fact that, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I've just 
lost my purpose in life. Mm. My purpose in life was on any given IED defending my brothers or defending my country that I love, that that we all care about it in this way. That was our mission set. It didn't matter what we were doing for the military. We were defending our country. That's what gave us purpose. And to think that I had lost that was the most devastating thing in the world to me. And that's where I'm trying to think, laying in that hospital bed, how do I how do I regain that purpose? How do I find my purpose? How do I make sure I don't lose my purpose in life? And that's what got me thinking a little bit about politics. That makes a lot of sense to me. And having talked to other wounded warriors like Rob Jones, who you and I were briefly talking about before, lost both his legs, wondered, what am I going to do now? The answer to that was bike across the country, run 31 marathons in 31 days, keep showing it. Kirstie Ennis, cover of ESPN's The Body Issue, climbing the seven highest peaks, Shane Crutchton, fighting professionally in Bellator MMA. There are so many of those who have given so much of themselves for our nation who then find a way to 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 not only survive but thrive after that and perhaps become an inspiration was that part of your goal with seeking office it wasn't necessarily to be an inspiration uh, you know you always hope that you can be a positive inspiration to others i think that's one of the things that i've learned whenever i get to speak to high school students which is pretty often now i always tell them every single one of you is going to be an inspiration every single day now you're going to choose whether you're a positive inspiration or a negative inspiration you know to those around you but you are going to inspire others around you in one form or fashion or the other but you talk about some of those peers of ours you know like rob jones doing incredible things i got another friend you know another marine john Joey Jones, good friend of mine, always out there doing things, and a whole host of others that these are people that they are accomplishing the greatest things in their life post-military, post-injury, um, you know, in spite of what was happened. And they are an inspiration to people. They should be. If people aren't looking at them, they yeah. should be to say, look, you got to be this tall to, uh, you know, go out there and have a pity party. You got to be this tall <laughs> if you want to go out there and, uh, you know, start complaining about you want to sit on the couch because these guys are doing it in spite of it. And they got to be an inspiration to others. They're an example. When it comes to serving in elected office, particularly at the national level. And we're speaking with Congressman Brian Mast. And by the way, I want to apologize. I said Iraq before. I meant Afghanistan. I didn't even hear you say it. But, yeah. <laughs> you were, it was in Kandahar, I believe, where you served, right? I was uh, injured just south of there. I was uh, working in an area called Zari Panjaway. Um, you know, this was low, late 2010. And, right. Uh, Same time that I was in RC North. I got there in late 2010, right around Halloween. So, uh, you know, it was, that was, as we've learned from Ken Falk from Boulder Crest Retreat, that was 2010 to 2011 was perhaps the worst time for the EOD and the Marine Corps combat engineers, that community. There were so many people who were injured at that time. Uh, it's really shocking when you hear the numbers at a time that a lot of people thought, oh, everything's winding down because we're starting to pull back in Iraq. Not necessarily the case in Afghanistan, was it? Now, Ken is one of those other perfect examples of a guy, you know, gets out of the military doing everything that he can for veterans. Very yeah. inspiring way. Love Boulder Crest. They're doing another one out west now. Yeah, um, but no, listen, you know, when you look at that time frame, 2010, 2011, you know, a couple of years before that as well, every single month in Walter Reed Army Medical Center during that year, there was 40, 50, 60 men and women a month that were waking up in a very similar condition to myself, right? Missing uh, a limb, two limbs, three limbs. There's a handful of them that, that survived that are missing four limbs friends of ours that are blind, that are burned, that have traumatic head injuries, that are some combination of all of the above. And they're still out there, like we just talked about, going out there, showing what they can do every single day in spite of. And 
It's incredible. When we talk about Congress right now, there are a number of veterans serving in Congress, like yourself. Uh, there are others who are seeking that office. Our friend Dan Crenshaw down mm-hmm. in Houston is in a runoff for the Republican nomination. Connor Lamb, who it looks like maybe is going to win out there in Pennsylvania. That is, boy, have you ever seen an election that close? 600 or so votes. I've heard right about now. them. I hope I don't ever have one. (laughs) You hope you don't see one down there in Florida's 18th district. Danger close. It seems from the veterans in politics that I've had the pleasure of meeting, whether you're talking about Senator Duckworth, whether you're talking about uh, yourself, it seems that there is a willingness to work together with each other and with others and to reach across. Do you think that's why it's so important that maybe we add more veterans to Congress? I think that defines us, who we are as a people. Let's take what our situations were in life as veterans, right? And especially as combat veterans, we were placed in literally the most austere conditions that you can imagine. You know, your time chewing the dirt my time was in afghanistan it was under the cover of darkness it was disarming bombs alongside people from every race every religion every political background every background in terms of how many dollars or or lack of dollars they had in their pocket from going to you know community college to prestigious institutions to you know getting a ged every kind of background you can imagine with probably as little to do in common as as what you could find for for this group put together but then we find a way to get the job done no matter what there's never a choice to not get the job done you all work together to get it done that's not the way that congress always works unfortunately and the senate always works unfortunately that is the example so you look at the guys that came in with me just in this election right i came in navy seal scott taylor uh uh, Air Force One Star General Don Bacon, Marine Three Star General Jack Bergman, uh, Neil Dunn, uh, Mike Gallagher, Marine Intel Officer, and, there, and there's a couple others there that I, you know, I'm forgetting right offhand. But there was a number of us that came in. I think you're going to see a return to what Congress used to be, and that mm-hmm. was. You look back to the mid-1970s, almost every member of Congress had served in the military. World War II, Korea, Vietnam, they'd all served at that point. It's drastically down at this point, but what you're going to see, in my opinion, you you can hold me to this in a couple of years, see if it's true. I think as all of our peers hit that retirement age, which, you know, they came in 2001, two, three, four, that was the biggest influx. Right. So 2021, 2022, 23, 24, you're going to see so many of our peers hitting their retirement, throwing in their 20 years. And in my opinion, saying, hey, I'm going to throw my hat in the political arena and be a part of changing this country at another level. There is uh, cooperation on veterans issues that we don't see, bipartisan cooperation on veterans issues that we just don't see on Mm -hmm. anything else. Uh, It kind of shows how that we, uh, and we're not a monolith, of course, they're all shapes, sizes, stripes, colors of veterans, as you mentioned. I mean, we can look at Tulsi Gabbard, Tammy Duckworth, and you politically. I don't think the three of you could be uh, you could be much farther apart than the two of them, but you do have common ground with them to start from. So I think that's uh, that's really a fascinating thing to see. One of the big issues in Congress that's been brought up by people like Justin Brown of Hill Vets is that the number of veterans serving in Congress, the percentage is actually higher than the veteran percentage in the country. It's lower than it was in that period, as you mentioned, following World War II, Korea, Vietnam. But the percentage of veterans on congressional staffs, 
It's like one to two percent. There's almost no veterans serving on congressional staffs. How much would you like to see that change? And how important do you think that could be for policy for the country? Look, our, for any good office, you have a, an amazing group of staff that are out there helping you through everything. Um, you're working through endless pieces of legislation, of testimony, of working on your own legislation. And if you, you know, you and I clearly agree that uh, you know veterans, our peers, bring a lot to the table. I try to put a lot of veteran staff on my staff. Got them both, uh, you know, down in the district. I got a couple Marines down in the district in my district office. Got a 101st Airborne guy as my chief of staff. Got a Marine as my legislative director. You know, other folks up in my DC office. So um, we try to uh, we try to keep the veterans in there. I love to I love to hire veterans personally. I know immediately looking at them that there is a certain plug and play element to them, right? You can you can send them on a mission. Right. You know they're going to get it done. You know that they're persons of honor. If they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. They're bound to that level of honor that exists inside of them that doesn't just necessarily inherently come to people. It's driven into you by your experiences. So yeah, I love hiring veterans. We just talked to the Hilton Hotel Company a couple weeks ago about their veterans initiative. They initially said, hey, we're going to hire 10,000 veterans and it was in honor of their founder and CEO uh, uh, Conrad Hilton and his son Barron, the next CEO, World War One and World War II veterans, respectively. They were so pleased with those 10,000 veterans, they've announced they're going to hire 20,000 more by 2020. So what they told me was we found that veterans, even if they don't have experience in a particular area of expertise, they come in and they just kick butt and do it and get it done. They adapt and overcome. I mean, that's kind of what we're all about, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. You know, it's that old samurai mentality that you expend yourself fully in the, the excellence of whatever your work is. That is your goal to become the master, you know, the most excellent person at what your level of work is. I think it's the, you know, that modern day samurai mentality. We're speaking with Congressman Brian Mast, uh, Army veteran, served in the United States Army EOD community before retiring as a staff sergeant and then seeking public office. Now, of course, as we talked about your injuries and your time at Walter Reed, I imagine that you probably have quite a bit of experience with the VA during your life. There's currently some turmoil over at the VA, as you obviously know, with Secretary Shulkin under fire, claims of people trying to undermine him, uh, claims that there are organizations looking to privatize the VA. When you look at what's happening at the VA, which up until, I mean, almost a month ago, it seems, was the shining light of what can be done uh, by the administration. And here in Washington, D.C., it seemed to just implode over the last few weeks. What are you seeing when you look over at what's going on at the VA right now? Well, look, Secretary Shulkin, when he came in immediately, he came to Congress and he said, these are the things that I need in order to go in there and where there needs to be cleaning house, what I need to do to clean house. The VA Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act, that was one of the things that he specifically came in and asked for, said, hey, I need to have a better system where I can hire and fire. I got to be able to get the right people in here. And if we got the wrong people in here, we got to be able to shuffle them out the door, not the way that this government rubber stamping goes on from place to place to place. Um, One of the things that I would say for as long as I get to be a member of Congress, this will probably be one of the things that goes down as as what I'm probably going to be very, very proud of, most proud about perhaps. And that was we put a congressional office in our VA hospital. And that hasn't happened anywhere else in the country. And I tell, you know, my veterans, they get to come see me one-stop shopping in the VA hospital. If they have an issue in one of their offices, they can go right downstairs, hook up with me, and maybe we can walk right back upstairs to wherever they came from, help them deal with that issue and say, do we really have to make this a big congressional issue or can we address this right away? We're in the hospital working on a daily basis, and now we're trying to replicate that. 
that across the country to, you know, put a bill out there to say all members of Congress uh, can go in there. And if they have veterans being seen at that VA hospital, they can hold office hours in that hospital. That's been one of the ways that we're working. You know, we're working on, uh, you know, dog testing issues. We're working on, you know, getting pension reforms through making sure that, uh, you know, those that want to use their GI bill can go out there and uh, and have a longer period to use it. It's not something that they use if they didn't serve, you know, long enough right at the beginning when, when the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan kicked off and maybe they didn't have that opportunity to use the GI Bill, they still get to have that back. One of the other bills that we've worked on is uh, called the uh, the Veterans Homestead Act, uh, you know, that we're going to be releasing not too long. And that's to say, you know, listen, if you served, uh, whether you served four years or 20 years, um, we want to go back to that old homesteading uh, law that existed before and say, listen, we're going to give the opportunity to purchase, you know, an acre of land for every year of service at basically the rate that it costs to go out there and and, uh, and uh, survey the land, uh, you know, for a lot of that land that exists out west that they want to put back in the hands of the people. So right. we're working on a number of different fronts. When you talk about the Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act, and there has been positive movement at the VA recently. I've seen it, and uh, I've, I've been out for seven years now. I got out in 2011, and I've seen positive change, particularly in the last year and a half or so. Um, the interesting thing, I think, about the issues that Secretary Shulkin is facing now is that Essentially, they kicked off with him violating something that he could be held accountable for as far as the travel of his wife over to the trip in Europe and the Wimbledon tickets. I mean, it it seems that that may have opened the door for a lot of things to pour in through. At this point, you know, as a veteran yourself, as someone who's familiar with the VA, uh, do you think Secretary Shulkin is still the right man for the job? And do you think he's someone that's going to remain in that job? You know, this has been one of the amazing things that I've seen in this very tenuous political climate. I think we can all agree that that's what it's been. A little bit. I have had many, many, many Republicans and Democrats coming up to me and saying they don't want Secretary Shulkin to move on. Republicans and Democrats. Right. I, I mean, let's remember, I think initially he was a pick of President Obama. And yeah, he was he, an undersecretary it, it, under exactly. Obama, I believe. Yeah. And then uh, he comes in under President Trump and takes over as the head of the VA. He is a bipartisan choice. And, and that's something that's very difficult to find in this climate, somebody that's going to work across with, with both of those sides. Uh, so that's a big benefit to having him there. I think he's been trying to do you know an outstanding job. We'll see how these other things these peripheral things that are outside of the scope of the work he's been doing in the VA. We'll see how those things shake off. You know, we got an old saying in the military, and that's do what your rank can afford. Mm. And uh, so, Army also likes to talk about staying in your lane. I learned yeah. that when I was on an IA deployment to Afghanistan with the Army. Hey, stay you in your lane, say, What do you guys say in the Navy? Like, uh, stay in say, your lane. Or, hey, want to go get a beer? You know, right. stuff like that. Okay. That's, that's, more, <laughs> that's more our thing. We're our. speaking with Congressman Brian Mast, Army veteran representing Florida's 18th District, which includes uh, Port St. Lucie, which I'm very familiar with because my New York Mets have their spring training down there. Of course, also Fort Pierce, which I think is where That's the right. UDT Seal Museum That's is located. That's exactly it. Seal Museum's amazing place. I've been Great there. I was there. there. I visited that and met uh, Rudy from Survivor. Rudy Bosch, Master yeah. Chief Bosch. Awesome guy. Met him while he was down there. Of course, also uh, you know, very close to the Parkland High School, where the horrifying events that occurred uh, very recently happened. You're very familiar with firearms. I imagine you probably carried an M4 with you when you were over in Afghanistan. Army gave me the M16, and then the Germans gave me, I think it was a G8 that I used over there. So familiar with them as well. The firearms issue is a very divisive one. Uh, Within the veteran community, we know there are a lot of firearms owners, a lot of people that are very proud of owning firearms, including and up to and including the AR-15. You've come out recently with, uh, I'm looking at a list of really some great legislation that you're looking at to improve and strengthen community safety. 
When it comes to the AR-15 specifically, I've heard you say that it's something that perhaps we don't need to be selling anymore. You're not saying confiscate the guns, but that they don't really need to be out there. I'm never a gun confiscation guy. Look, right. I have my own collection of firearms, and you know, most of us, law, the 99% of us are law-abiding good citizens, and we have firearms because we like to hunt, we like to be sportsmen, we like to be collectors, we we like to do a, a number of different things that are right. all perfectly legal and well within you know our rights to do so. Um, my point has been very clear, and that's that you know this unfettered access that we've had to the the weapon that I was given in combat. I was given an M4 carbine. It was not fully automatic. It had a three round burst or yep. semi. Uh, I've fired it extensively in combat, generally always on semi. Um, and you know the reality is this was put in my hands because it was the best thing they could put in my hands to kill our enemies in the most dangerous place on earth. The unfettered access that anybody has to this firearm simply because right. they're 18 years or older, mm. uh, it doesn't lend itself to the safety of our community. And that's a, you know, that's an unpopular thing to say for a lot of people. Um, but I, you know, look, I gotta, I gotta voice my opinion on yeah. this one and, and that's what it is. And it's, it's an opinion that I, I wrote an op-ed about it. And I talked about the fact that annually somewhere between 250 to 350 uh, homicides are committed using rifles of any type and more like 13,000 with handguns. So I think handguns are a much bigger issue. It's just that it seems that in so many of these, High, highly publicized, horrifying events like we saw in Las Vegas, like we saw at Newtown in my home state of Connecticut, like we just saw at Parkland. The AR-15 is the weapon of choice. Ben Stein uh, from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, former, former presidential speechwriter, had an interesting point where he thought it was a gun that made uh, nerds, in his word, feel like they were Rambo. I don't know if it's that much more of an effective weapon. Of course, the AR-15 also comes in different calibers. You can get a 22 AR-15 that's not going to be as as dangerous as a higher caliber or any other semi-automatic. You can get that rifle. style in a 7.62, right? You can, right. You can yeah. move on up the line. Do you think if we if we stop selling the AR-15, do you think that leads to uh, any changes, or or are the people like this this monster down in Florida or the one up in Newtown just use a different tool to commit those those same crimes? Well, the reality is this is a question of are you going to stop gun violence or are you going to stop violence as a whole? Mm. Um, and when you look at violence as a whole, yeah, you can do mass violence in a lot of ways. You could get in a vehicle and you could run down uh, the beach and probably, you know, very likely run over more people than what you could do, uh, you know, with a firearm right. before you're stopped. I was a bomb technician. You can go out there and put an explosive device. You could be, you know, the, I'm not saying somebody should be, but somebody could be the next Timothy McVeigh, yeah, right? Yeah. A rider truck full of uh, 15, 50 gallon drums uh, of ammonium nitrate and fuel oil. I mean, these are things that happen out there. We're we're not going to stop violence. Uh, it, it's not going to occur. But I think it's very fair to have this debate of what is the level of lethality that we're going to sell off the rack to, to anybody that walks into a Walmart or uh, you know any sporting goods store or your local gun store. I think that our founders, you know, maybe we all come down in different places on this debate, but I think our founders would roll in their graves if they thought we weren't having the debate uh, about saying, hey, what is going to be out there? Does does keep and bear arms mean every single Single arm that exists out there, right. or is it like the National Firearms Act, where we say, okay, listen, we're not going to sell full auto off the rack, and maybe there should be some higher echelon of scheduling for you know how you get some of these other firearms off the rack. We got to look into: do you have mental illness? You know, are you a criminal? You name it. There's a lot of things. There are, and Brian Mast is addressing those things as he serves in Congress, representing Florida's 18th district. Congressman Mast, Staff Sergeant Mast. If people want to find out more about you and what you're doing, where do they go to do that? I think they can go to my house site, uh, mast.house.gov. They can 
can find me there. Uh, I'm sure I have some other sites. I don't know. You can Google my name. <laughs> Go check out Brian there. Mass doing great things. And we want to thank you so much for your time today here on the Morning Briefing. Also, thanks to my friend Joe Chanelli, Executive Director of Ambets. Friday edition of Morning Briefing tomorrow. See you then. Have a good day. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.